This podcast is sponsored by Echelon. Echelon is the affordable way to get the workout equipment, the workout community, and an instructor's motivation right in the comfort of your own home. With Echelon, you can work at any time, day or night, and crush your fitness goals. And right now, for a limited time, podcast listeners get up to $800 off MSRP. To get this exclusive podcast discount, text GENIUS to 818181 to get up to $800 off MSRP. Once again, just text GENIUS to 818181. Quick disclaimer, message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Dr. Christina Bjorndal. She's a doctor of naturopathic medicine, and we're going to talk about mental well-being, bipolar disorder, and uh, other issues. So, Christina, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, if you would, tell me a, a bit about your background. How did you become an ND? And what led you on your journey to where you're at today? Yeah, so really for me, it was my own struggles with my mental health that ended up leading me to become a naturopathic doctor. And I experienced a lot of challenges when I was in university and subsequently when I was working in the corporate world. And it was after having or surviving a suicide attempt that I realized I needed to figure out another way to navigate my health other than taking medication upon medication upon medication. And that led me to finding a orthomolecular or nutritionally oriented psychiatrist who started me on supplements and dietary changes. And then I, after a year of following his protocol, I had my first year where I felt free from depression and anxiety, which were the primary things that I was struggling with. So then I decided to make a career change myself. So that's the journey in a nutshell for you. Okay. So in your practice, I mean, there's a million things you could work on. Are you more focused on, you know, mental problems that people have, or what is the focus of your practice? Generally, the focus of my practice is mental health. So people who have depression, anxiety, sleeping issues, and bipolar disorder, those are the main four areas. And then hormone balancing, fertility, those are the other areas that I have an emphasis on in my practice. What conditions would you would you like to go into a little more depth today? Bipolar disorder or you know, yeah, I mean, I, are, are the most important to talk about? Yeah, well, I think probably the most important to talk about would be in that mental realm, because I think a lot of people are struggling right now with depression and anxiety. Those are definitely more common. One of the things for myself, I was also diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and that is definitely an area that's near and dear to my heart. I it's just not as common for the listeners, probably. Well, I'm happy to go wherever you well, want. Yeah, let's let's me let's, to go. let's yeah, let's focus on on bipolar disorder. You said you had been diagnosed with it. If you don't mind, it's up to you. If not, mm-hmm. it's okay. But what was it like? How did you know that there was an issue with yourself? And what was that journey like? 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I didn't know. So what happened to me was I, you know, surrounding the initial diagnosis, what happened was I was had been depressed and quite suicidal. And I was put on medication. At that time, they it was a class of antidepressants, they're called tricyclic antidepressants. So I started those. And within a few months, I found myself in a place that I'd never been before, which you know, I wasn't sleeping. I had racing thoughts. I was very euphoric. I really thought that I could take on the world. And then I spun from there into a delusional psychotic manic episode. And it took six people to wrestle me into a straitjacket, And off I went to the hospital where I was left in a rubber room after being injected with a powerful antipsychotic. Yes, it was, it was quite kind of a traumatic experience because through all of that, I didn't really understand what was happening to me. And the big piece that's important to mention is that I, I'm adopted. So there's no family history to go by. And wow. there was no forewarning, if you will, that this, you know, this could happen. And I had a hard time swallowing that diagnosis myself because I felt like, okay, I couldn't look to my left or my right to verify the truth of that. And would that have happened to me if I wasn't taking medication? So that's always been a doubt or a question in my mind, which has prompted me to write the book that I've written, which is called Beyond the Label, 10 Steps to Improve Your Mental Health with Naturopathic Medicine. So Mm. I think that by looking at these different areas, which include stress management and sleep and ensuring you're getting exercise, you know, moving your body in ways that feel supportive and comfortable for you. Obviously the nutrition piece, these are all really important factors that everybody talks about because it's important. Dismiss the value and the really emphasis that this can have on your well-being. Well, what was your path? You know, you were put in that room and everything. That was a real low point to where you are today, where not only you're okay, it sounds like, but now you're helping other people. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been a long path, but basically, so after that diagnosis, I took the medication that was recommended and I continued finishing my schooling and, and then I began working in the corporate world. But all the while I'm wearing this mask that I really wasn't doing that well on the inside, but I would portray on the outside that I was doing fine. There was, you know, you would never know there was nothing going on with me. I was very good at wearing this mask. And really it was after the suicide attempt that I realized that I just needed to figure out another way to navigate my health because the way I was doing it wasn't leading to health for me. And so that's really been the journey. It's taken, gosh, I was 20 when I was diagnosed and I was 33 when I went back to high school to go back to university so that I could then go on to naturopathic school. And then I graduated when I was 38, I believe, or maybe I might've been 39 and now I'm going to be 55. So it's been, you know, a long journey. Do you feel like, because you've been through this journey, when you have a patient that does struggle with bipolar disorder, do you feel like you're able to use what you did to help them, you know, beyond the the naturopath methodologies. Like, how would you describe that? Like, you know, you're in a, in a good place to help these people probably more than most, because again, you've, you've struggled with it. So what is that to you? Like, what do you think you have that is more helpful than someone else that has never been diagnosed with this, never dealt with it have? I think that's just it. It's that when you really have lived experience with something and you've really walked that same path that the person across from you has may not be exactly the same, but you've experienced a lot of similar 
connections and relationships. It is just brings a different level, I think, understanding and compassion and empathy than reading about it in a clinical way through a textbook or something that you may have studied. So I think that that's what draws people to me is the fact that not only do I have that educational side, but I also bring that lived experience piece to the table. Naturopathic medicine, what is there for people that are suffering from bipolar? There's traditional medications, but naturopathic seems to be very different. So what kind of protocols have you seen that are helpful to some folks that suffer? Well, the first area for me that's really important is the sleep piece. And it depends on where you are on the spectrum of bipolar disorder. So are you coming in when you're depressed or are you coming in because you've just had a psychotic event? And those are two very different pictures. So if we take the individual that's depressed, then regardless of whether they're coming in with depression or have just experienced psychosis, first and foremost is really is about understanding that person in front of you because everybody's story is unique and there is no two use out there on the planet. So what you've experienced, how you've processed it, what you've processed those experiences, what you've made them mean, the core beliefs you may have formed, the shadow beliefs, all of that plays a role. So if somebody is depressed, for me, the main focus is always making sure that they're not suicidal and supporting them in seeing the light that is within them in whichever way I can be that mirror to reflect it back to them. So giving them some sense of purpose and understanding for why they're here and what it is that they want to be doing. And even if it's just as simple as making sure that they are able to get out of bed in the morning and get out outside and move their body whether they're exercising or going for a walk. And a lot of this is difficult when you're depressed and especially during this time with the pandemic because we are not as connected as we perhaps could be with people. So that's a really big piece. And I think why a lot of people are struggling now is this idea and I think under acknowledgement that of the role of connection. So anyways, I think I've gone off on a tangent here for you, but. <laughs> no, it's, it's okay. Um, what can people, I know every case is different, but again, what are some of the, the modalities or things that you help people with? You mentioned sleep as yeah. uh, being a huge help to people with bipolar disorder. Can you spell a little bit more out? Like, you know, how do you help people with it? And then how does it improve their circumstance once their sleep improves? Mm-hmm. So if you're on the other end of the spectrum and you're not sleeping, then we want to understand that there's two main hormones that are involved in sleep. So cortisol and melatonin. And if we're wrapped up in the evening for whatever reason that there can be a variety of reasons and we're having a difficult time falling asleep, then we want to support that person by either teaching them how to calm themselves from a cortisol management perspective, whether that's making sure that they are winding down from TV, they're not playing video games, or you're off your phones, you're not engaging in technology, you're not engaging in difficult conversations or having upsetting conversations before bed, that you're just doing things that are relaxing and calming for you. And if you, some people need to take some support, so that might look like a botanical formula that's formulated for you, could be taking melatonin. If your issue is sustaining sleep, then it may be looking at adding things like phosphatidylserine if there is an issue with high levels of cortisol, or it can be taking things like 5-HTP, which gets converted over the course of the evening to more melatonin, which helps us to sustain our sleep. So it really just depends on what the issue is. Some people have a hard time falling asleep. Sometimes people have a hard time staying asleep. Sometimes people have both of those problems. So it 
the nutritional support and herbal recommendations are based on what's happening with that person. Okay. So once you help someone with sleep, give them enough mind space to work on their own bipolar, or is that just the start? And there's a lot more that needs to be done to help people. Well, most people that come in are, are often taking uh, a form of medication or mood stabilizing medication. So my main goal is to make sure that people are a not depressed and suicidal and b not being hospitalized in an aggressive manner like I was due to psychosis and that they're contributing to society in a way that feels good for them. So whatever form of employment that might. So we are wanting to understand, well, what happened in the first place? What's the root cause behind this label that we're going to be, that we're using called bipolar disorder. So what was going on when you had your first depressive event or your first psychotic event? And for everyone that's different and stress plays a big role. So really understanding what you can do to manage that is, is really important. So it's a condition that I think, you know, you can manage and navigate. Sometimes you're going to need to take medication. Sometimes you might need to take medication for a long period of time. It really just depends on the case. Some people are able to navigate, especially bipolar type two, that's much easier to navigate I think without medication, but you have to, it create, it's a condition that requires a lot of self-awareness. Also, you need support, as I was mentioning earlier, whether that's through a partner or parent, sibling, cousin, someone who can help you recognize those times when you may not actually be okay when you think you are. And then it's understanding hormones in the body, neurotransmitters in the body, and supporting the organs of detoxification in the body. So with depression, often we're looking at how can we support serotonin in ways that are more natural. And I've mentioned 5-HTP, that stands for 5-hydroxytryptophan, which gets converted to serotonin in the body if you have the nutritional cofactors to do so. So nutrition is a really important piece. And what you put in your body really matters because your body is using that foundational material as a building blocks to create the neurotransmitters and the hormones that you, you then need to function. I've been working too hard and not working out enough. I wanted to get in shape, but I don't have time to get to the gym. Echelon brings the gym home to me. So right now for a limited time, podcast listeners get up to $800 off MSRP. To get this exclusive podcast discount, text genius, G E N I U S to 818181 to get up to $800 off MSRP. Once again, text genius to 818181 and message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. Okay, but I mean, so when you work with people, what state do they come to you in? What is considered out of control behaviors for bipolar? And then once you work with someone, what will they experience, even though it may not be, again, normal mental activity or normal interactions with people, but you can tell, okay, they're getting there, it's better. You know, I'm, I'm asking this for listeners, like what happens when someone's out of control with bipolar and what happens when someone's starting to come back into control, but not there yet? Well, when someone's out of control, they're not in my office, right? I okay. don't usually see people who are at that point. They're coming to see me after they've had a traumatic event, either a psychotic event, and they've been given this diagnosis and they're looking for other ways to navigate it, or they're depressed and they're wanting to feel better from that perspective. So what they can expect after they see me generally is that they feel better, that they're not depressed 
that they see the joy in life, that they have more energy, that they have more vitality, that they are uh, able to engage with their friends and family. That's generally okay. the path that people take when they come to see me. If they're not getting better, then and it depends. If you're taking medication already, then we may have to look at that piece of the puzzle. If you aren't taking medication and you've started the nutritional protocol or the herbs or the homeopathics or anything that I prescribe for you and you're not getting better, then we may have to look at, well, gee, what are, maybe we're looking at the wrong macrosystem in you. Maybe we're supporting your neurotransmitters, but it's actually our hormones that aren't working. So maybe we have to do some more in-depth testing to figure out what's right here or what's wrong but, but, here with you. But, but what is better? Does that mean like the manic so, episodes are not as manic and the depressions are not as low? You know, there's less amplitude or what does it mean? I don't know if you, do you understand bipolar disorder? Well, I've, I've never had it, but uh, you know, I've spoken no. to a few people. So it seems like the person again, like feels on top of the world and they have tons of energy and they don't sleep very much. And then they oscillate and they go back. And now the low is so low that they can't get out of bed. They can't do anything or function. And right. so you know, that's again, what I I've said, never yeah. had it. But. Right. Of course you don't have it. So like I said, when people are in that higher state, that's not when they're coming to see me because why, why do you think that is? Because they feel good. They don't think there's a problem. Why, why would they come to see me? Are, are people some, no, that's true. That makes right? total sense. Do so they come have, to see me like, when they're depressed. And then I okay. do monitoring and evaluation and I'm checking, we're checking in and then we use objective evaluations to determine the progress. Do, um, do people have memory that they were manic? Do they have memory that they were depressed? Like, do they have selective memory just of one of the two or what's that like? No. They have memory of both ends of the spectrum. Do they realize that they were manic? Do they realize that they were really down? Or do they think like something else is going on with them and they were okay? Was their perception of themselves accurate is what I'm saying? Not when they're in an episode, they don't have always. I mean, it, some people have that awareness that this behavior that I'm doing or what I'm saying or what's going on right now isn't actually quote unquote normal behavior. But when you're in that state, it's a very difficult place to, you're just not, it's very difficult to explain. It's very difficult to explain. Depressive episodes, most people recall those. They're equally not fun, but they're not clouded in the same neurotransmitter imbalance that psychotic episodes are. So I haven't really asked a patient if they don't, there's a lot of shame often and a lot of stigma and a lot of negative emotions that are associated with both ends of those extremes. Do the people think that they're more okay than they are? Like when they get feedback from, you know, friends, relatives, associates, is the feedback, are they surprised about the feedback is what I'm saying? I'd have to ask. I haven't asked that question because I think that it's a very sensitive condition can be humiliating some of the behaviors that can come out of both depression and psychosis. And I think that it requires a very kind, considerate, compassionate person to help somebody navigate through these experiences that they've had. Yeah, no, I agree. I have heard from various mental health practitioners and people that have been affected that sometimes when they're in a depressed state or maybe a manic state, they literally don't have memory of some of the things they said. It's kind of a, a fog in a way, and they don't remember some of it. Mm -hmm. Have you experienced that or heard that? 
not from a depression, no, but I have heard that. And I would say I would relate to that from a psychotic perspective. There's aspects of it that I may not recall. Okay. I'm just wondering, you know, um, another yeah, thing that, I'm, that, I'm, I'm curious why you're wondering about that. Well, uh, again, because some of the interviews I've done, certain people have told me that they didn't have memory of some of the things they said. And they were surprised a loved one or someone said, you know, you were really this way last night. And they literally may not remember. Mm. And I don't know it. I've heard this from a few different people. So I just wonder if it's a common phenomena or maybe I just somehow happened to stumble on a few people that, that said that. So that's why I want to ask your experience because, mm. you know, you've spoken to far, far more people with this issue than I have. Yeah. And, and the people that I have experience with are, they're not, there is a group of or there are people that experience what's called rapid cycling, which is where they can go up and down and, you know, within the period of a day, that's not what I work with nor have any experience with. So for me, it's for the most time, the person's doing fine and normal, and then they stumble or have these short blips into like, it's not like psychosis lasts for years in somebody. It's basically a very short lived experience, like less than three days. Has anyone figured out what the triggers are that put someone into a, uh, you know, a manic or a, a depressed state? What makes them cycle? Well, the depression side is the current model is that this is the medical Western model is that you have a chemical imbalance in your brain and that you just need to support commonly serotonin from the de depressive perspective. And from the mania side, there's different suggestions that then it's the sort of the opposite side because there's inhibitory and excitatory neurotransmitters. So instead of the, so in depression, you have a low amount of the inhibitory. So we need to raise those and the opposite in psychosis, there's too much of the excitatory neurotransmitters. What's your thought? Do you think that makes sense or only for certain people or what do you think? Yeah, I think that there are things that can, so connecting back to stress, I think that the more stress a person's under. And, and again, everyone has a different tolerance and threshold for what they can handle. Perhaps they are moving into or producing too much cortisol. And then that then in turn affects sleep, as I was mentioning earlier, which if you're not sleeping, even if you don't have bipolar disorder, if you don't sleep well for a few days, most people don't feel good if they don't sleep well. And, and so in bipolar disorder, I think that piece gets, you know, switched in the wrong direction, if you will. And that plays a big role. So it's like, it's a, a little bit of a vicious cycle that feeds upon each other, because if the more stress you have, the less likely you could be to sleep, which then causes you to produce more excitatory neurotransmitters, which then feeds into the lack of sleep. And so then off you go. I gotcha. So the people that you work with that you've been able to help and reduce their bipolar issues, like how does the person describe how they feel better? Do they just come less often and therefore that's, you know, that's them better? Or do they say things to you that clue you in that they're doing better? Well, again, normally I see people when they're in a depressive state, so it's helping them navigate through that. And then once they're feeling better from that perspective, then I will check in with them. It really just depends on that fr frequency, whether it's usually it's Initially, I'll see people again, again, it might be weekly. If you're suicidal, it might be every second day. It might be every month. It just depends on the degree and the severity of the depression. But once you're better, then I would see you for usually once a quarter, I would say for the first year. And then thereafter, I, we would touch base 
once uh, every six months. And I mean, my goal isn't really to have you seeing me all the time. I mean, that's not my goal. My goal is to have you feeling better and to teach you tools and how to navigate this condition. But I'm always there to help you if you need me. But ultimately, my goal isn't to have you coming to see me every week. That's not the objective. Right. Well, that's good. How have you seen that, I guess, regular depression or anxiety is different from bipolar disorder? I don't think it is different. I think it's, oh, really? there's, no, okay. there's no difference. The only difference is the tendency to have a manic episode if you're have bipolar disorder. That's the only difference. People with unipolar depression do not have bipolar episodes. Okay. So a regular depressed person will be depressed and then, you know, kind of normal and then depressed and normal, but bipolar, they're going down and up way high and way (laughs) down and way up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't realize that. That's interesting. Is there any benefit at all to being bipolar versus just straight up depressed? I know it's a weird question, but is there any Well, I think if we want to look at this from a spiritual perspective, then we want to ask ourselves, what is the reason why depression comes in the first place? So for some people, it could be to help your ego might be moving in a certain direction and your spirit or your soul wants to move in a different direction. And therefore you get stuck between these two masters and you don't know who to listen to. And we call that depression. So So is it, it like a form of cognitive dissonance in a way? I think it's more, I look at it more like a, a a spiritual crisis in people's lives. So it really depends on what the root is. And some people, you know, the root is related to perhaps some sort of trauma or abuse that's happened in the past. For some people, it's just simply that on that physical level that, oh gosh, you know what, I'm, I'm not ingesting tryptophan forming foods, but tryptophan is the essential amino acid that we all need to eat because that gets converted to serotonin. Otherwise we can't make serotonin. Maybe it could be just as simple as that for some people, other people, maybe they're going through a really difficult divorce or others. It could be they, you know, we use depression for a lot of, in a lot of different situations. I mean, could actually be connected to grief. So it really just depends on, on the individual. Are there people that you can't help? And if so, like, is there any commonality to them or you've been able to help? Well, I like to say that we are able to help everyone. The challenge is that you have to be willing to help yourself. So there's sometimes other people want you to to do something that you might not be ready to do. For example, a parent who has a child who might be 20 years old, who is now an adult, but does not want to, you know, doesn't believe in naturopathic medicine, for example. So I'm not going to be able to help that individual. They're not open-minded. All right. So if someone wants help, you've, you've been able to help them. I would say, yeah. Oh, that's excellent. Um, are there any new treatments that are coming up that you're evaluating or you see in the literature that you think may be useful? They're not in my scope of practice, but I think it's interesting to look at the psychedelics. There's a book by Michael Pollan that came out a couple of years ago now called How to Change Your Mind, I believe. So I think that field is interesting. So microdosing thing, psilocybin, and but that's not it's not in my scope of practice. Oh, and since you said you only see people when they're depressed, have you had any patients that have tried these and given you feedback? I'm in Canada and I, since it's not in my scope of practice, I think the last time I looked into it, it wasn't available here. Okay. I was just wondering, what do you think is the future of medicine and treatment for these conditions? Well, I think the future is in not, is really in understanding this 
in the individual's journey and bringing more empathy and compassion to the table and not necessarily saying that we have to give a pill for every problem, but really trying to get at the root of what's going on with, with somebody. And I think that there hasn't been much additional research money going towards mental health. And yet it's a group of conditions that continues to rise. So it's, it's kind of a bit troubling in that regard. The rates, the suicide rates, they haven't gone down. Rates of depression, they haven't gone down. These things are just continuing to increase. So we're not really as a society, I think, missing, missing something here. And I think we need to get back to one of the things that I mentioned again at the beginning is that sense of connection and community. And I know in England, they recently, maybe in the last five years, appointed a minister of loneliness. So they're recognizing that people that are lonely get depressed. And what can they do? What can be done to help in that regard? Mm, Yeah, I figured loneliness would figure into it. What have you seen the past two years, you know, with the whole virus situation? Has it exacerbated? Has it made it difficult for your patients more than before? Or what's it been like? Mm -hmm. It's definitely exacerbated things and made things worse for people, for sure. So um, you say you're in Canada. So where, you know, for listeners, if if they can't get help from you directly, like what's an analog, let's say in the U.S., do they look up naturopathic doctors or what would you be called if someone was to look for you online? Yeah, the if you want to look uh, in the United States, it would be the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians, is what they use the term physicians. Uh, or let me just look up their website. I think it's A A N. Yeah, I don't have it memorized, but that's where I would look. And then you, they have a little find. Yeah, it's not the website is naturopathic.org. And that's the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians. And in Canada, it's the Canadian Association of Naturopathic Doctors. So C-A-N-D dot C-A. And then you can click on the find a doctor and then type in your area and somebody will pop up, hopefully. Okay. Well, very good. Um, Where can people find out more about you and your practice? For me, it's just on my website, which is D-R and then my first and last name, Christina dot. Com. And do you have show notes or? Yeah, yeah. I yeah, can put whatever you like in the show notes. No problem. Yeah. You just put that in there and then then I don't have to spell it out for people now. Yeah, sounds good. Okay. Well, Christine, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, which has been sponsored by Echelon. When you're trying to reach your fitness goals, it can really help to have world-class instructors like Nicole Griffin and Michael Brown choreographing classes with music from your favorite artists like Pitbull. And you get a community of hundreds of thousands of people who can give you that extra push. Echelon gives you that. Echelon's certified fitness instructors are supportive, engaging, and fun. They really know how to get you moving. And right now, for a limited time, podcast listeners can get up to $800 off MSRP. To get this exclusive podcast discount, text GENIUS to 818181 to get $800 off MSRP. Once again, text GENIUS to 818181. Message and data rates may apply. Please see terms for details. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. 
If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.